Welcome to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. And we are the Locksecutioners. We're going to be eating lightning and talking thunder and power bombing you right in the ear holes today. You know, this is I, what I got to deal with, Coach. I like the clapping, <laughs> is, Ross. I, no, like I don't know like a, why. But. I feel like we have like a live audience here <laughs> when we do that. You don't so like it? Like the song goes off and the, our audience is like, oh, yeah, that was oh, such oh, a my God. Yes. Here they are. The stars of the show are here and they, they clap. You know, I like that. Sure, so <laughs> this podcast, we've got three now in the bank. This, well, this will be our third in the bank. That we haven't we posted a giant yet. podcast podcation, and now we've done like three in a row. We so haven't you, actually posted them. You didn't take my advice and post yesterday. I, I'm sorry, but I know I know that you're the only. This person. This is why I don't talk. Coach. I know you're the only person that's busy in this world, but I, <laughs> I have things going on also. <laughs> you had so. you had you had Barbie to go watch. Todd went to watch the Barbie movie last night. <laughs> all right, all right. We got bigger things to talk about today, Ross. Okay. No, we don't have anything good to talk about. Let's get to our guest. Do, are you nervous, Ross? Do you feel like? Do you know I'm saying this guy's kind of had your number. He's, He's had, had my locks, number, that's for the sure. Locks family number for a while, hasn't he? <laughs> well, he. Uh... I, I'm. Re- I want to tell a, a quick story okay. about when. Uh, so we have Coach Waldo on here today. Mike Waldo. He was coach at uh, Edwardsville for. 75 three years was that right coach something like that uh, 30 <laughs> he's a hall of fame coach uh comprised uh, 727 wins um he had four 30 win seasons 21 20 win seasons 10 southwestern conference championships seven sectional championships and five trips to the state finals he's in the hall of fame a, a funny story ross that i have so he coached when he coached against ty as ty's like first second year something like that they had a quote in the paper from ty that said that ty said you know we got nothing to lose we got nothing to lose like when he's getting ready to play them yeah so at the at the game some a student in the student section had a big sign held up that said we got nothing to lose Coach Locks. And another kid right next to him had a sign that said, Sept the game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny, but the funnier part about it is the paper took a the newspaper took a picture of it and it was like right on the newspaper, Sept the game. <laughs> Which I'm sure that everybody listening probably knows that yes, they did end up losing the game. So Anyway, Coach, it's an honor to have you on here. We we posted last night that you're going to be on here, and so many people were excited and happy. And so, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I always like to talk about sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I said, Ross, I go, do you think like because I know you know Ty and Ross from um, playing or coaching against them. Um, I'm like, do you think they even he even knows they have other brothers? <laughs> Did you know about Todd? No, I didn't. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> nope. Damn. He answered I'm, that. I'm out of here. <laughs> anyway, Coach, thanks for coming on. We, we super appreciate it. Um, we're just going to kind of have a little conversation with you today. And like what we like to do with everybody, we start from the very beginning. And, and where did you grow up? Where are you from? Well, I grew up in Mitchell, which is a suburb of Granite City. My dad worked at uh, Granite City Steel, and uh, he worked there 40 years before he retired. So I grew up in Mitchell and went to Mitchell School and uh, – Big part of my sports life was uh, the Mitchell Athletic Club, which was just a bunch of dads that lived in my neighborhood in Mitchell. That and how many could that be? Four. You know, that was really a, an age of volunteerism. There was mm-hmm. a lot of guys did that. They raised money through running the fall festival, which was a big carnival. 
I'd say there was probably 25 active members. And most kids paid $2 to play baseball, $2 to play basketball. And uh, I grew up in, in – that's where I learned a lot of sports. Uh, my dad was – I had the first basket on my block on Fleming. My dad was the first one to put up a basket. So everybody came to was my Was it house. a peach basket, Coach? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no, but it, it was – Is your dad's name Naismith? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know uh, – Dad was really a craftsman, and he just mounted it on top of the garage roof. And most of my neighborhood was all guys older than me, so I was playing against guys older than me all the time. And that was a really, uh, really good experience in sports. And uh, then I went to uh, Granite City North High School. There was two schools in Granite City then. I played uh, basketball and baseball there. And actually, my first coaching was in Mitchell. I started coaching Little League Baseball when I was in college. So that's kind of where I started. So um, I'm assuming in high school you excelled at baseball and basketball? You know, I wouldn't say I excelled. I I, uh, I didn't really get to play that much in baseball. In mm-hmm. basketball I played, but I, I wouldn't say I excelled. I probably averaged 10 points a game. And, and we were we were a pretty good team my second year. We got in the – Alton beat us in the sectional. But I wouldn't say I excelled, no. But I learned a lot of sports from playing. And then, you know, just sitting – in the living room watching the sports with my dad mm-hmm. just watching and then he would take me to games he took me to watch uh st louis hawks played uh, the philadelphia 76ers and the globetrotters played on one night at keel and dad took me to see that so i was down close in will chamberlain i just learned a lot of sports from playing it and being around my dad watching your dad big in the sports yeah you know and dad really didn't get to play much he was too busy working my dad started picking cotton when he was six picking cotton wow yeah so he he didn't really get to play but he he liked sports and he he exposed me to it you know he put the basket up now he never made me practice but of course i always did and uh, he'd come home from the mill and squat down in the backyard and catch me while i pitched and threw batting practice to me and he 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 really uh uh liked sports he just didn't get to play him himself Gotcha. Um, now, did you? Where did you go to college? And did you play sports in college? Yeah, I. Uh, well, you had to excel a little bit if you went on to play college sports. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was I was a six five and could dribble, pass, and shoot, so I was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to uh, Lewis and Clark Junior College right out of high school, and I played basketball and baseball then. And it was the same way. I didn't really get to play a lot in baseball, but I uh, learned a lot about it. Now, I did. Uh, we went to Galveston, Texas when I was a freshman, and I, I pitched uh, six and two-thirds innings and no-hit baseball, but I had walked 12 guys. <laughs> so, so my pitch it's like you just threw it where they couldn't hit it. I mean, they still get on base, but they just couldn't hit the ball. Well, they had trouble reaching, I'm sure. So <laughs> it's a great strategy. I probably had 200 pitches, and Ralph, Ralph Jackson got the last out for me. I got to play more. My, my freshman year in basketball, I didn't get to play as much. We had a really good team, but my sophomore year, I got to play a lot. And... Um, uh, I had a chance. I didn't really have many scholarship offers. I could have went to a couple smaller schools, but I'd had to pay a lot. So I ended up just walking on at SIU after my second year at Lewis and Clark. Mm-hmm. And that was for basketball? Yes. Yes. And uh, played uh, two years there, met a lot of good guys, and, and got to play some. I mean, I, I probably played maybe 18 minutes a game. but uh, And I liked playing. It's but, more than Ross. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were – when. We, we were – it was a different SIU when I was there. <laughs> you don't have to say that, Coach. No, you don't have to say that. No, it, 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 it was. And uh, I learned uh, a lot about 
sports and coaching and people during that time. Now, were you an education major in college? Actually, I started off, I was going to be a journalism. Well, actually, you know, Steve Porter, we've had, you know, Steve Porter, mm-hmm. pretend like you pretend like you know him or he'll, he'll, uh, oh, he'll said. No, no, uh, we had, we had Steve Porter on the show and, uh, actually when we posted, we were having you on, he said earlier in your career, you wanted to be a sports writer. Oh yeah. I was going to be, uh, a writer all along and you probably shouldn't say this to kids listening, but I was in journalism and I had to write five five-page stories a week for my journalism class, go out, cover the event, write the story. And I was playing basketball at SIU then, too. Mm-hmm. I just could not keep up with all the workload. <laughs> so, I, and I shouldn't say that, but yeah. I ended up going uh, into education then. And, it, of course, it worked out great for me. I don't think that's a good prescription for success for most people. If it gets hard, just give it up. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say you actually didn't attend the games. You just pretended like you didn't know what I'm That was going to be worse than that. That's what I would have done. What what drew you to education being your next step? Well, obviously it was easier, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was. It, I, I knew I wanted to coach. Okay. I, I, At what point in your life did you know that you wanted to coach? I'd say probably when I was maybe a sophomore in college. And uh, when, I, uh, when I went to SIU, I worked the summers at Nesco Steel Barrel, which was a great experience. Because work, factory work, what that shows you is... <laughs> you don't want to do factory work. You know, the classroom's not that bad. <laughs> so I, 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 uh, that, that was a, I made money to go to school. And that was just a good experience uh, are for me, and I knew then that I wanted to coach. So what I would do is like a lot of those dads did. You know, a lot of those dads at Mitchell AC, they worked hard. I mean, that was hard work where they worked. You know, mm-hmm. A.O. Smith and Jensen Wright and Grand City Steel. And those guys would work all day, come home, change their shirt, go up there and line the baseball field, put the bases out, coach baseball, clean up and go home and eat some dinner and start over the next day. Yeah. So I uh, – I started doing that. I, I kind of, I actually admired those guys. I wanted to be uh, like those guys. And that's when I started coaching, when I started coaching Little League. And I started figuring out a good thing about sports was you can be innovative. You can do things a little different and try ideas and deal with people in different ways. And uh, that, that's, uh, that's when I knew I wanted to do it, yes. And so you said you started coaching Little League when you were still in college? Yes. Yeah. Where, where in Mitchell or I, my team was the Mitchell AC Reds. The Mitchell AC Reds. Now, see, I liked the Reds. You had the big red machine. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I had a dog named Pete Pete Rose, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I I uh, coached those guys. And I and it was I worked at Nesco, came home, put a different shirt on, went up there through BP. Just kind of following in the summers. Just kind of following in Dad's footsteps, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know that's a uh, that era was a great era of the spirit of uh, volunteerism and, and uh, uh, baseball obviously has changed a lot since those days. Yeah. Um, did, now, did your dad, did he try to steer you away from, you know, working, doing factory work or? No, I tell you, dad was always, always on board. When uh, I decided to, I was going to go to U of I after high school. I mm-hmm. got accepted. I was going to go to U of I and study journalism and be a student. And I changed my mind because I wanted to play. And Arnold Copeland from Lewis and Clark had called me a couple times. He's the only guy who called me and wanted so, me to come see to See the Lewis basketball coach? Yes, sir. Arnold Copeland was the basketball coach and the baseball coach at Lewis and Clark. And he wanted me to come there and play. So I decided I wanted to play. 
And that's the maddest my dad ever got at me. Really? Yes, because he didn't. I think he had some guys at work telling that junior college wasn't really college. And he thought I was, you know, making a big mistake choosing to play sports when I could go to U of I and be in journalism. And he was really, he got mad, he was mad at me. In fact, for about a week, he didn't say much to me. And he was, I, no, I didn't see him because he was working all the time, mm-hmm. but he, he didn't like it. Now, he would never come out and say, Mike, you have to do this. The only time he ever made me do something, I'm getting off track a little no, bit. No, but. The only time he ever made me do something was when I was between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. That's when you went from junior high to high school. So I'd been going to Grigsby, and then the next year I was going to go to Grand City. Well, uh, they were having summer workouts for incoming, for the players, incoming sophomores, juniors, and seniors down at Grand City in the mornings. And I was a little nervous about that, so I wasn't going. In fact, I was out in the backyard shooting my bow, you know, shooting my bow mm-hmm. arrow. And Dad comes home. He comes out. Carrie Simpson standing next to my buddy. And Dad says, they're playing basketball down at Granite City tomorrow, and you're going. And, of course, there was no. <laughs> if, if Dad went. said I was going, I was going. I didn't pop off. I didn't say nothing. Okay, well. So I went, and then the rest was history. I ended up liking it and playing, and everything was uh, Everything was good, but uh, with your dad's disapproval of your decision, did it make you waver on it at all, or did you decide by the time you went to tell him this is what I was doing? You you had your mind made up. And- I, I I had my mind made up. Now, you know, dad created a great environment in that you were going to do what he said, but at the same point in time, he was not going to make me do something he knew I didn't want to do. In fact, what ended up happening when he, with that is, uh, of course, Lewis and Clark, I commuted the first year. Second year, I lived it there, but the first year, I commuted. So it had been about a week, and Dad hadn't said a damn thing to me, and he wasn't happy at all. And then finally, he came out, and he was out shooting baskets. He said, uh, you he, know, he was shooting, or you were shooting? No, he, Dad, he, he was, uh, he didn't shoot with me much. Mm-hmm. He had been, he worked hard. I mean, he worked a lot of 16-hour days. Dad would never work two hours over. He'd say, if you want me, it's eight. So he would never work 10 hours. It would always six hours. <laughs> but he had a strategy. But anyway, he came out in the driveway and said, you know what? You're, you're going to be going to school, and you're going to be needing a car. So let's, let's, get you, let's get you a car fixed up. And we got me an old Chevy and fixed it up for me, and here we go. So he, he, he got on board. He was supportive. It took him a little while, but he was. Yeah. I, I you can kind of see his point though a little bit. I'm sure then you couldn't, but now you probably see what he was. He was just wanting better for you and thinking going to U of I was was you know getting out of there and a new life for you. You know that's true. And my sister had just had been going there. My older sister, my younger sister, went there too. So yeah, I think so. Now you know it ain't, that decision for me ended up working out better than any decision I ever made. Well, Coach, I think it ended up working out for a lot of people's lives, which we'll touch on. It worked out for a lot of people's lives that you, you made that decision. You know what I'm saying? All the lives you've touched. Well, thank you. That's, yeah. that's nice. I've had a lot of good kids to coach and teach. Yeah. Um, what did your mom do? Well, my mom, I can remember getting mad at my mom when I was 16 because she wouldn't type my paper for me because she had to go to work. Mm-hmm. My mom was a valedictorian of her class at Hillsborough, Missouri. But she, and she worked until her and dad got married. And then, of course, dad said, no woman of mine's going to work. And that's kind of the way it was back yeah. then, you know. So mom didn't, uh, mom didn't work, although she was a pro- brilliant. 
you know, about the mm-hmm. Yeah. She started working when she was about, when I was about 17, and she worked for a couple places over in St. Louis as a secretary. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was the uh, always love you, always tell you you're good, always tell you you're wonderful piece of the two-person parenting puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> Dad was a little different, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was times when my friends would be over, my dad would be treating my friends so good, laughing and everything and carrying on and just having a wonderful time. And I can think, I remember thinking to myself a lot, damn, Dad, I wish you'd treat me that way. <laughs> when they left, it was a different story, huh? Yes, it was. Yeah. But he had a mission. He mm-hmm. was, his, and his mission was, I wasn't going to be a wimp or whatever I think, you know, yeah. you know I was so yeah and, and there was times when I would be a little upset with my dad because I was wishing he would be a little more loving but in retrospect when I look back at it now the way he raised me is the best thing ever could happen for me uh it just made me I don't know if tough's the right word but I just think it made me tougher in dealing with things rather than dad falling all over me trying to make sure I was okay yeah, and you had your mom doing that too. That's so exactly, yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so we we you end up graduating from SIU. Yes. Yes, and so uh, education degree. Well, actually, what happened to me is I went to SIU and I went to summer school and did everything. I had to change my majors so it took me four more classes, but I had plenty of credits to graduate. And so I thought I had my teen certificate, and I applied for a job at Roxana, sophomore basketball and PE teacher. And then Roxana said, hey, and said, I sent them all my transcript. I thought I was in. I had a job right out of school. Great. Well, Roxana said, you don't have a teacher certificate. You don't have a 100-level psych class. So I couldn't take the job. <laughs> I couldn't take the job at Roxana. So I kept working at Nesco Steel Barrel. And I had what could have been for the shells. <laughs> what could have been shelling. <laughs> <laughs> I think Pat Ham was the head coach then. <laughs> there. So I ended up keeping my job at uh, Nesco, and I drove up to Lewis and Clark. There wasn't no online then, so I had to drive up to Lewis and Clark and take a night class in a 100-level psych. And that's, a, that's a real kick in the balls. You know, it was. Got a job. I mean, <laughs> get the job and. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, but, you know, that ended up being the best thing ever happened because in February of uh, that year, I was still working in ESCO, and I'd, I'd gotten my teacher certificate by then, but I didn't. there were no jobs this middle of the year. Mm-hmm. So Rick Fasson, my buddy that used to be the auditor, yeah, I know Rick. he called me up and said, hey, uh, the Catholic Children's Home's looking for a teacher. So I took that job on February 1st of 80. I think it paid 9800 bucks. <laughs> but I met my wife there, and... I now, really, is, was she a te- was she teaching was she a teacher also because she you said yeah where was she from uh Bethalto. her dad Bethalto. Uh, weeking wilson construction her dad had a construction oh, gotcha. Bethalto, and she was working at the children's home in fact one of the first things i saw was there's this big old farm kid from jerseyville and you know, the catholic children's home was rough behavior kids yeah and this big old farm kid from jerseyville was not happy and diane was right up in his face like this looking up at him <laughs> So I going to the Catholic Children's Home, I met my wife there, and I also learned, I worked with a lot of kids that had a lot of problems, uh, you know, uh, mental problems and they slow learners and things. And I really had to learn how to be a teacher being there because you didn't, nothing was easy with those right. kids. And dealing with behavior and discipline 
was huge. I learned a lot about how to do that. So that ended up not getting to go to Roxanne and it one being one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because working there shaped my life from, from then on. And not only that, but the way life works out. We have numerous stories like this on the podcast where something like you thought you had your teaching degree. You didn't end up having your teaching degree. You lost that on the job. But because of it, you met your wife. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just crazy how yes. life works like that. Yeah. Yes. Things that you think are big failures, things that you think, is, oh my gosh, I'm never going to recover from this, or it's going to be, it's a horrible setback ends up being, it just, it's, it's what, you know, you look back and like, this has put, put me on my road to where yes. I ended up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, that's right. Now at the time. It never feels like that. Does it? <laughs> when, I, when I was trying to stay awake in that class, it didn't seem like that. <laughs> well, yeah. Working all day at the factory. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how long are we at the Catholic children's home? Uh, six years. Six years. And so you and your wife, how do you ask your wife out then? How does that happen? We went together to the Madison County Teachers Institute in March of 1980. We went together. And then after that, the rest was history. And then, we came, <laughs> then we got married in Oct- I, Oct- October of 80. And it's been that. Been I feel like now. he yada, yada, yada over the best part, Ross. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> it's an old Seinfeld, right? Oh, what teaches you? Yeah, then we got married. <laughs> We know what goes on at those teacher institutes, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> so at the Catholic Children's Home, are you doing any coaching there? Well, uh, when I started working at the Catholic Children's Home, I volunteered. I, in ba- I started volunteering in baseball in Edwardsville in spring of 79. When I in in Edwardsville? Teaching, yes. And I, I stayed at Edwardsville. Younger kids or? Freshmen. Freshmen. I, uh, Bill Hyten was the head coach, mm-hmm. and I coached with him. And then I coached with Bill Flumkauser for a year. And then Tom Pyle came in 81, and I coached with him, and I volunteered there my first four years. And then I, I was also, I volunteered for Coach Ollendorf, the guy I played for at Granite North. So I would, after I'd work at the Catholic Children's Home, and then either drive down to Granite North to coach basketball or drive to Edwardsville to coach baseball. So when you say volunteer, this is basically not getting paid. Right. So you're doing this knowing that someday you want to do it to make, to, to, you know, get paid at some point, or you're just like, I just love doing it. I don't know if this is putting me to a head coaching pay job or I just love doing it or a little both. I think it's like you said, I, I just loved doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never thought about the money much. Now, after I got married, I realized that you got to have a little bit of money. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, no, I, I, I did that because I just wanted to coach. And I learned, you learn a lot when you coach with other people. And I, I learned a lot about basketball and baseball during that time. And actually, I lost my job at uh, Granite North. When I was coaching at Granite North, I volunteered for, it was uh, Tom Rostick, uh, Jack Parker, Johnny Van Buskirk, and then Coach, uh, Coach Olmdorf. And after my second year of volunteering, the school was, went back together. You know, Granite City decided they needed to build a new school, so they taxed everybody to build a new school. And then 10 years later, they thought, you know what? We don't really need a new school. And my taxpaying dad was not happy about that. <laughs> I bet. But anyway, I got riffed then because there was only you could only have half as many coaches yeah. then. So I, I, I was out of a job. And so I thankfully I went to Edwardsville. And I was the freshman uh, basketball coach at Edwardsville for two weeks. And after two weeks, the job at Marquette came open, and then I went there. The head basketball coach. Yes. Yeah. And Coach Valino was nice. He knew I had a chance to be a head coach. Now, Moto told me, don't go there. Coach Pyle, they called him Moto. He said, don't go there. It's a graveyard. 
<laughs> and the, the AD at the time there was uh, Waters, right? Yes. Good. Is that, is that who hired you? Great guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matt Waters, his son, he, he, he shot me a little message and said, you know, his dad was the AD, hired Waldo on, or was part of that staff, and uh, he's like, you know, Waldo would let me sit on the bench. I thought he was God. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably 30 years old now, I bet. Yeah, he's probably, in, he's, he's about my age, so he's yeah. getting up in the, probably close to 40. Yeah, he was a little left-handed guy. He liked mm -hmm. basketball. And, and Johnny Waters was a great guy. I had some good people there. You know, Greg DeCourcy was there forever. and um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah he, in fact, Greg DeCourcy was my student teacher at Grigsby in eighth grade, PE, and then he went to uh, Marquette. And then I had some good guys I coached with. Uh, Greg Voss was an English teacher, but a really good guy. Well, I shouldn't say, but a really guy, a good guy. And um, Kappel, uh, Mark Kappel, you know, that was superintendent of schools at yeah. Holden for a long time. He coached with me. Steve Carey coached with me a year. No. <laughs> We've been trying to get Steve Carey on the show for a long time. He won't do it. <laughs> Steve Carey was really a coach. Oh, man. Yes, he was. Yes. So how long we stay at Marquette? Are you still teaching at Catholic, the Catholic Children Home while you're at Marquette? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I coached at Marquette for five years. 83 was my first year, and then uh, spring of 88 was my last. How did we do there? Well, uh, the first year, we, uh, we, we, I, we didn't have a winning record. I think we were 9-15. and 15. Uh, and then the second year, we were about 500. And then the third year, we won 21 or 22 games, got beaten in the regional championship. And then the fourth year, we won maybe 14 more. And then the fifth year, we ended up winning 20-some and won the regional and won the first game of sectional. And then having done that and then had already been at, in baseball at Edwardsville, when the job at Edwardsville came open, that probably helped me get it. Had you applied for any other jobs, head coaching jobs, before you got Edwardsville's? In the time you were at Marquette? Yeah. I uh, I want to know who didn't hire me. <laughs> well, I, I, I applied at uh, St. Paul Highland. It's not even a school okay. anymore. Okay. Yeah, what? It used to be Highland St. Paul. They had the Luber brothers. They had some good players. And uh, I, I just want – I you know, the teaching job I had at, at, at uh, the Catholic Children's Home, that's a hard job. When you're dealing with bigger people that got behavior issues every day, and you're making one decision after another all the time. And it's always, what are you going to do to keep this kid from hurting this kid or hurting you or whatever? Yeah. I, I don't know if burnout's the right term, but I was kind of wanting to try something else. So that's the reason I went to St. Paul Highland. But something told me, don't do it. So I didn't. Okay. So they offered so you're, they you're letting you the them job? off the hook. They offered you the job. You didn't take it. They did offer me a job, okay. yes. And I didn't, I didn't take it. Something told no me. No wonder the school it. closed, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> So, Edwardsville, you apply at Edwardsville and they hire you? Yes. For teacher and coach? Yes. Yes. Yes, and that, that ended up being good. I was still a special. That ended up being good. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think, so, but... I think it did end up pretty good. You're right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Putting it mild, yada, yada, yada. Ended up good. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that uh, you know, uh, it helped that I'd already been there in baseball. Yeah, that was uh, the fall fall of '88, uh, and I actually I was probably fortunate to get it because I walked in the interview right after Dennis Reader. You know, Dennis Reader is coached at Jabot, Jabot yeah. for forty some years. Got his first state championship. Yes. Yeah, and I and I think just for the fact that I'd already been there as a baseball coach yeah. probably helped me. And actually, I had taught a year there before, but. Uh, 
uh, that, that no, no, that that ended up working out good. It, that my teaching job, I really enjoyed. Well, you special education. Yes. Yes. Was that was that your major? going to special education or just kind of happened because you're at Catholic children's home? It happened. I was at the Catholic children's home and uh, it was hard to get jobs then. It was hard to get teaching jobs and it was hard to get coaching jobs. You know, now they, they struggled to try yeah. to find somebody that, that would will coach after filling <laughs> yeah. jobs. How old were you at this time? Well, uh, I was 22 when I went to uh, – Catholic Children's Home in 80. So I was born, yeah, and, and I was there until I was 28 or 29. I taught, uh, I taught Bethalto a year. I was still coaching at uh, uh, Edwardsville. No, at Granite City and Edwardsville. I taught, I taught, you know that green built? There's a, used to be a green shed right out there behind the high so, school. So was this yeah. after, after Catholic Charities? Yes. You went Catholic Charities, Bethalto, to teach. Yes. We're coaching at Marquette, though. Yes. But and then to, I, I God the, damn, he could have been my coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that it was uh, Bethaldo started decided to start an alternative school program, and I knew it'd be hard. But it, it the Catholic Children's Home, you don't pay into retirement, and you don't make much money, and then the job Bethaldo, I would have been a, in in the TRS, and I, it was probably eight thousand dollars more money. So, mm-hmm. so I went there. I Louis Hauser interviewed me. And I went there, and and uh, Bob, it was a hard job. It was me and Donna Eaton. She's passed. Donna, yeah, she's no Donna. now. But it was me and Donna Eaton and 16 of those guys all day <laughs> out in that green building. Out in the shed. Yes. Now, is that, I wonder if that's like the, the iron, the old iron shed. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, it turned strong. into a weightlifting. When I was, my senior year, it was where we lifted weights. Yeah. That, Man, there's no windows on, there really hardly any windows. It's this metal building. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it was, uh, and those guys, I, I like those guys, and a lot of them I talk to now, but that was a, that was a hard, uh, that was a, that was a hard job, and it was a one-room schoolhouse, because uh, I won't say his name. Say the least. <laughs> they just threw you out there out of nowhere. Well, I, I won't say his name, but one of the principals at Bethaldo High School, I thought my job was to rehabilitate these guys and get them back into the high school. And he came. He saw me somewhere. We I think we had to go. I think we had to go to Bethalto West to eat lunch. Mm-hmm. But he saw me somewhere and he said, "Hey, Waldo, I hear you're trying to get these guys back over here. But I just, <laughs> I just want you to know, we don't want them. <laughs> you're a prison guard. Just keep them inside the building. <laughs> you know. And, but but uh, those guys, we ended up we ended up doing fine out there. Yeah, that, that was a good. Well, you're alive, so that that's, <laughs> says know, something. Did so well. He's one and done. <laughs> yeah. Well. well I, I went from there to Edwardsville. Yeah, yeah. so I got it. Who who was the head basketball coach at Bethalto then? Was it was it Carrie's dad? No, I think it was so. Dennis Wilsheets. Okay, okay. Yeah, they was. Yeah, that, that, it, it yeah, was. Yeah. It was. You were talking about late '80s at this point. Yeah, Wilsheets, I believe. Yeah, I think this was '86. Uh, it was Dennis, it was Dennis Wilsheets. Yeah. So when I was there, uh, he Wilsheets was the girls' coach, and that's when Harmon Harmon was the. Uh, Harmon took over. Yeah, Harmon took over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I coached against him. Yeah, I'm sure a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get the job at Edwardsville. <laughs> how's it go? How, how's it start? Is Edwardsville a dominant program at the time in the area? Uh, they hadn't. That was a kind of a good situation to come into because they they hadn't won for a couple of years. Now Bud Valino did good there. I mean, he won section. He won some regionals and gotten sectionals, and he did good. But the last two years, they hadn't done as well. 
that's an easier situation to come mm-hmm. into than if somebody's been winning. And Absolutely. Right. But there was some uh, there was some good players there. I mean, uh, well, first of all, Joe Blassingham was there. Right off the bat. Yeah. And I see, I didn't, as a freshman, I didn't play Joe Blassingham at Marquette. That was probably not good thinking. But I did play him when he was a sophomore at Edwardsville. <laughs> but we had Joe Blassingham. So he, tran- he, he transferred from Marquette to Edwardsville. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I had him and, and because of you or well, you know, his brother Andy played for his brother Andy played for me at uh, Marquette. In fact, we won a regional in a first game of section with Andy. Andy was a good player. So his brother Andy had played for me. And I I, I would guess that had something to do with it. Okay. It wasn't and, coincidence. Well that and you know, I think they knew Joe was gonna be good and playing at a bigger school would be better for him than playing at Marquette. Yeah. I got you. So, um, first year, how 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 did it go? The first year there, well, we lost our first game to Highland <laughs> at home, and then we played at Belvaltoff the second game at home, and they were pretty good, and uh, that was a we won that game, and that was a big win for us, and we won that game playing triangle and two, and running four corners, and we won that game, and then we ended up winning twenty. Oh Lord, probably twenty-two, <laughs> and we uh, you won twenty-two that games that year. Twenty-two games. I thought you were about to say we ran four corners and we won twenty-two to twenty-one. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully today I'll get to defend all that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, we'll the, get there. The nickname that there's a nickname, right, Ross? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> no. uh, but we we uh, we won the regional. That year, and then we won the first game of the section, and we beat Collinsville. And then we played East St. Louis Lincoln in the sectional championship my first year at Collinsville. And they were they won the state that year, and they were really good. And we got behind in that game by like 22, 24 points with about five minutes to go in the third quarter. So we had worked on this and planned this, and they weren't a good free throw shooting team. So we just started fouling every time they got the ball <laughs> the rest of the game. And we figured they'd make one out of two foul shots, and we'd make enough threes, we'd catch them. <laughs> and we had a three with like under a minute to go to tie them after being down by 24 points. Now that that the longest game in history. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure people complained about that. You know, we played the Alton the six overtime game one time, mm-hmm. and my wife was working at Beverly Farm then, and her one of her friends was there, and the first quarter we didn't shoot. <laughs> Because we, we had played Alton the week before, and I had Jimmy Doherty, and they're playing a box and one, and Jimmy Doherty, we couldn't get him loose. I, I Hopefully, by now, I'm a little smarter. I could have got him shot. <laughs> but we couldn't get Jimmy Doherty any shots, and they just beat us by 25 points. So I thought, why now would we play against a box and one when they just beat us by 25 points? So we held it. I never dreamed they'd just sit there and let us hold it the whole quarter. I thought for sure they'd come out and guard us and get out of the box and one. If they'd got out of the box and one, we'd have played. Yeah. But they, 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 didn't, they didn't come out. So we held it the whole first quarter at SIU with a gym, big gym pack. <laughs> but, but if you're going to do it, then you got then you You're committed. Do it. Yeah. you got to do it. Yeah. it. Because if you, yeah. as soon as they, if they don't come out for 30 seconds or 40, and you say, oh, well, we're looking bad here, we'll go ahead and play, yeah. then they'll never come out. But anyway, Steve Brennigan saw Diane in the, uh, uh, out, out in the lobby at halftime and said, Paid all this money to come to this game. There's no action because <laughs> you know my fault. Yeah. Well, that ended up being six overtimes. And Diane <laughs> what, what was the score? 
No, it ended up ended up being in the fifties or sixties because we got behind after that. And we were always trying to catch him after that. Mm-hmm. But then Diane Sosti, Brandon, was that enough action for you <laughs> after six overtime? Anyway, I got now, now I would have. Ne- I never called you this in high school, but I did hear this nickname thrown around <laughs> a little bit. That it was Staldo Waldo. Did you, have you ever heard that name? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. I have never said it in my life. And, you know, I just. <laughs> Just well, I'd hurt. You well, know? my mom, you know, I told you she really liked, loved me, and cared for me. Uh-huh. She, she tried to talk me out of doing it. <laughs> well, since we're here, let's just get get on the topic. Let's get it over. With. Where, where did the Four Corners come from, and when? Well, did it originate? Of course, I watched a lot of bas- Sorry, I watched a lot of basketball in the seventies and the sixties. In North Carolina, in the seventies, if they ever got ahead in the second half, the game was over. Because they had Phil Ford up at the top of four corners, and they had it all spread. And once they made the lead in the second half, the game was over. In fact, most you, at nine minutes to go, up North Carolina's up by six. You turn it off and go play outside. It, it just I knew that. Was that Dean Smith? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Dean Smith, and he had I, some. Good, I had to throw out any little oh, yeah. basketball and, nugget I know, Ross. <laughs> and that's it, growing up. You always think North Carolina fast break. Transition, North Carolina transition, North Carolina fast break. Mm-hmm. They held it, huh? Well, oh yeah, but but you know, when good defense playing playing against good defense, you guard the ball, and you got four other guys closer to the basket than the ball, so it's hard to get easy shots at the basket with in, against teams based defense. I mean, I mean, like for instance, as soon as Jimmy Darty put it on the floor, there's another Alton Redbird waiting on him. And then he throws it, and we reverse it at some, and you throw it to a guy that might be open, but he's not a great shooter. And why would you play against that? Why would you play against the zone when you got the lead and you've got a great player and they're double-teaming him all the time? So why would you just keep shooting it up just some somebody in the stands will like you better? Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense. And really, if it comes down to it's, it's not you that's doing the stalling. I mean, even though you're standing there holding it, it's the defense because they're not co- like. Thank you. I wish. I, I really did. Yeah. Well, you, 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 you guys are right right best friends. <laughs> Thank well, you. I didn't see it that way in high school, coach. When you did. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if it's it's the defense that's stalling. You guys are just you have the ball. It's their job to yes. get the ball back. Really, yeah. it's not you know. Oh yes. Yeah. Now you know it. It used to help some. Because they used to have the lack of action rules in basketball. They don't have them anymore. You know, the old 28-foot line you used to see everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, the way it used to be is if I hold the ball at the timeline, I got three guys out at the timeline, the referee's going to count to five, and then he's going to put his fist out and point at the defense and say, you got to get out there and guard it's those guys def- right. on the other side made of the made it the defense's job, not the offensive job. Exactly. Yeah. And see, that that made it a lot easier because sometimes teams didn't know the rules, and then when they did, they'd be unorganized and come out there because the ref was going to give them a technical. Yeah, and they didn't know what to do. They just had to get out there, and so you just you know, yes. take off with it. Yeah. Well, the, probably the first time we did it great was uh, my uh, fourth year at Marquette. I had Steve Mason as a kid from Venice. He lived down Eagle Park down in Venice, probably 5'10", the greatest rebounder I've ever seen. And we had, wow. and we had, oh Lord, he, he saying he, something. He just had a knack of knowing where it was coming off, and he was going to go get it. And he was good with the ball. He wasn't a great shooter. He was good with the ball. And we were playing Carrollton, and they beat us by like twenty-five points early. We we're playing them in a regional semi. Excuse me, Carlinville. We we're playing them in a regional semi. Carrollton beat us, and that was a low-scoring game. But we Carlinville, 
we made the lead, and they tried to guard four corners the whole game, and we made like 88 points. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was probably the first time. But you're, no, you're right. It's the, it should be the defense. And, and that's why they don't come out. Because then you <laughs> carve them up for layoffs. <laughs> <laughs> what what was one of using using that? What was one of the lowest scoring games you had? Well, uh, Mount, when we played Mount Vernon at the Salem tournament, sometimes we would have some low scoring games because they had kind of the same philosophy we had. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> one of you get up and just stand there with it. And, and I believe me, I did not want to just hold it on our hip and do nothing. In fact, they used to make fun of me. Brandy Duplain used to play with us. He said, when we go into Staldo, he really gets nervous. And he was right, because I didn't like just holding it there. Yeah. And I didn't like everybody yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I really hoped that they would come out. And, and most yeah. of the time, a lot of times they did. My junior year, we played them at our place, and he stalled. Yeah. They weren't very good, and we weren't very good. <laughs> so we couldn't go get them. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was a low-scoring game. Well, you know, I that would have been like Kyle David's junior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had Kyle, Kyle yeah. and uh, Trevor Voss, Adam Jones. Yeah, you were playing a lot of sophomores or juniors, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you had we had one senior. I think that started um, went to Milliken, I think, and played. Oh, oh, one. I can't, I can't recall, but um, yeah, that was a low scoring game, very. Yeah, and and you know, because I, I think he hit he hit the shot to put you guys up. Well, you know, sometimes what would happen in the fourth quarter, you, you get tied or you make the lead, so you don't want to play against their best defense anymore. You know, some teams, that's they're good at a zone, but if they play anything else, they're no good. Mm. And you don't want to play against their base defense anymore, so you get to hold the ball, and then you're hoping they'll come out, and then you can go play. But if they don't come out for a couple minutes, it gets down to five minutes, four minutes. You're thinking, why would we want to shoot it up now and let them get the last shot? So if they want to let us shoot the last shot, we'll just shoot the last shot. <laughs> but, but the next right. year, they didn't have to hold it. They just beat us like a drum. Like a drum. And like you said, I guess once you commit to it, you got to stay with it. You know what I'm saying? Well, it doesn't make any sense to like, oh, well, the crowd's booing. Okay, we're, we're going to go back and start playing, right? So Yes. And, yeah. and uh, I'm sure a lot of my guys didn't like it. But they, I think they understood it, mm-hmm. and and uh, they did it. And um, I just think with no shot clock, you want to use every rule you can use to help you. It, it, that just made sense. To, uh, it made sense to me. I liked what you said last time that me and you spoke. <clears throat> you brought up that they're in the Edwardsville community. The the players, the students. Uh, they wanted to be a part of Edwardsville basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not every school has that. You know, you're, you're talking kids into playing and things like that. As you, the culture of Edwardsville was kids were they wanted to be a part of that. Oh yeah, yeah. We we had a lot of guys that loved basketball, and and we got to where we we rarely cut guys. You know, if we'd have, well, my first couple of years there, we'd have like 55 trial for varsity. We couldn't keep that many. But as time went on, a lot of times we'd keep 25, 26, 28 guys for practice. And they became what? A practice team, right? Yes. And that was one of the so best. awesome. That was one of the best things we ever had because those guys, they, pra- they, they would learn the other team's plays. And, and I, we, we didn't, what I would do is I would do my work and I'd have a packet of papers like that. And I'd just hand it to Zach Hinkle, say, teach these guys mm-hmm. those. And then I'd hand it over here to, to – uh, Andrew Sertich teach these. And then they'd come back when I'm ready to guard them, by God, and they ran them. 
Now, sometimes if they didn't run them good, you had to you had to get mad at them and yell at them, so they didn't want to get. I was there one time; they got sent back to the other side to learn the plays better. <laughs> <laughs> so, are these guys who aren't ever going to play or even sit on the bench? They're not they're on just, the roster. They're not, right? They're just pre- no. Though I dressed them. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. I, I did. I dressed them. No, no. You dress like twenty five guys. Many, many as we had. Now, a lot of times they would. You have a JV and a varsity game, yeah. so I would dress some of them for if they're juniors or sophomores, dress them for the JV, and then dress the others varsity. Did you just have a lot of guys that kind of accepted that role and just like we're going to help? This is helping the team. They bought into it that way. Yeah, I, I think they bought into it that way. They liked the basketball. They liked playing. They liked getting in shape, you know, from the weights and everything. And mm-hmm. they're just really good guys. And I'll tell you, a lot of those guys are doing great. I mean, making big bags of money. and In, doing, in life? Oh, Lord, yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. But that's a great skill to have. Yeah. To do something, not when you're not going to get immediate gratification, but at some point in time. It's, you know, that's yeah. a great skill to have. I love that. You don't see that very often, do you? Well... You did, but <laughs> the rest of the athletic community does not. Probably, you know, I, I people always say you're having kids change. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think most of the time, they'll do what you expect out of them. I think. And we getting me on one of our rants, and we, I, I always talk about this, but you know, generations always they always complain about the generate like the younger generation. They're you know, oh, they're soft. They won't. They don't work hard. Well. This generation creates that generation. Do you know yes. what I'm saying? It's like yes. you're the one that's let them off the hook or not had high expectations of them or made them work. So they're going to do what you let them do or not do what you don't make them do. Yes. We you know, know uh, Tim, Tim Doherty, Coach Doherty, was one of the best things that ever happened to my coaching career and Edwardsville sports because he came in as a football coach and he had a really stringent weight program and workout schedule, and they could not miss ever. And if they ever missed, they were done. And he, those guys did that. And I think that was a good signal to the rest of us. Look, they'll do it. You just got to make them. When you create a culture like that, it's just they know when they know what the expectation is, and what they're going into it. Yes, you know. Yes. And uh, uh, no, those are uh, I, th- those are some of the best experiences I've had in coaching is coaching our scout team guys. Some of them were good in another sport. And some of them weren't, but they just uh, liked being out there. What 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 do you think in your um, career at Edwardsville? What do you think the percentage was of football and basketball players like that you guys shared? Uh, I think early it was a lot, and then as time went on, not as many. But I think what's happened in in football is that it's becoming so year round with so football? many things. Football, oh yeah. I think it is, and uh, I, I think. But but I had a lot of guys that played both sports. In fact, one of the best teams I ever had was '98. We'd won. We were thirty and one going in the sectional championship. I had some football players on that team. I had Mark Laria and Travis Evans. I had some. So I had some good uh, good football players that played for me. So high at the beginning, slowly declined. Yes, and it got it got a lot worse <clears throat> with baseball. You know, my best pitchers used to always play baseball for me. Wait, you used to play basketball for you? I'm sorry. Basketball and baseball. I had a lot of kids that played basketball and baseball. But I think the same thing has happened, and all I know it has in baseball. Baseball has become such a, uh, I hate to say it, but it's an affluent white man sport now. I mean, if you don't have the backing for somebody to pay the money for you to start playing when you're, 
with a select team when you're seven, it's hard to do good. And I, I you know, Major League Baseball is really concerned about it. not enough African Americans playing baseball. Well, you know, the Pirates used to have we had Al Oliver, everybody. But what's happened? I'm afraid that the uh, the African Americans been priced out of baseball because they can't afford to play. Yeah. Um, and it used to be that one of the cheapest sports to play because I mean basically you can go out there and just with a yeah. bat and a ball and just hit around and but yeah but now what what is your what is your take now on like youth sports and just how it's like you talk about baseball it's year round it never stops and, and they're traveling you know they're traveling all over the country and, and this is at young ages you know like these select select teams and things like so it used to be a select team was like you were really good to be on a select team and now it's basically the top tier ones are who can pay the most money and so on down the line it seems yeah. like well i have of course i'm older now so i have guys that are raising their own kids now mm-hmm. ask me my opinion of that and what i tell them as long as your kid likes going take him as long as he wants to do it take him but what I don't think you want as a young age is for you to turn a sport into work. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to work hard when you're 10 so you can do this. Or you got to get a scholarship so we got to take 20 more ground balls. I don't, I don't think that's good. Yeah. I watched a podcast the other day where um, we listened to and watched a um, guy was on there talking kind of about this subject. <clears throat> and he said, you know, this is turned into where people are getting their kids straight into baseball at seven and then that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And, and he was on there talking about one of the reasons it being wrong is because when your kids are still in that seven through 15 range is when they, their body can develop athleticism, overall athleticism better. So, and what they're trying to do at a young age is develop skill. When he says that's the wrong approach, you should be developing athleticism across the board. Because once they become 15, 16, 17, they can then take that total athleticism and develop the skill even I better. That. I think that's really, really good thinking. Yeah. And actually, it, I don't think just playing baseball can ma- makes you an athlete, like you just said. You know, there, a- athletics is, uh, uh, well, it's uh, cardiovascular, it's uh, speed, it's skill, and it's heart. And I think uh, sports is, are those things. And I, I don't think just playing baseball can give you all four of those. I mean, maybe it can, but I, I don't think for the most part. But I, I, You'd I have to train those outside of baseball. Yes, I agree yeah. with that. You mean like what we do at Pride Fitness here, Ross? Good plug. Okay. Good plug. <laughs> I, I think, and I also, and Ross and I have ranted about this a lot, is I, I also think because someone will play a sport just year-round and it never stops, I think we see a lot more injuries these days because mm-hmm. they're just doing like, like a, a baseball player just throwing year round when I, you know how when we were young like you'd play baseball season you'd play like 10 games over the summer or whatever it was and then that season would end and then football would start and you'd play that and you wouldn't just sit there and throw a ball right. year round yes. and now you see i have so many kids like i have a sh- my shoulder hurts i played nine games in ohio over the, the weekend and things right. like that it's just you see so many more injuries just because you're doing those repetitive movements over and over and over again yes i, I agree uh 100 you know, Bob Gibson used to pitch the last game of the World Series. 
and then go home and probably not pick up a ball till spring training. Right, exactly. Take three or four months off and then start over again. And he, he can, and you, we, you, you've seen his record, how many complete games and things. Yes. I think that's because he gave him, I think now they think, oh, if you keep throwing, you're going to build up the stamina in that arm. But really right. what I think you're doing is just wearing it out. I agree not 100% letting it recover. Yes. You know, and I, yes. and, you know, you see a lot of places, you know, I do strength training here, and I, I don't think there's a, they're taking time off from a sport and doing enough of that either. Like Ross said, developing athleticism and developing, like, strength and tra- things like that, yes. you know? Yeah. I, I just, I, I see a lot more. I don't, I don't ever remember being injured. Well, you know, I think once a, uh, <clears throat> a player gets to be 15, 16, 17, the strength training is huge. That's, you know, that's, that's everything because it's like, Ross had, had said earlier that the athleticism is what you need to be developing in right. the skill later. So no, I think that's huge for once a kid gets to be that age. Right. When they and when their skills are about the same, if someone's stronger or faster than the other, that you know, that usually win, wins uh, out. Yes. Is is my thing. Um, I'm gonna well right now I'm just gonna I'm gonna read a few things that people had sent in. Now this was from Stoat Reader. And where does he co- where is he coaching now? I coached at Jerseyville. Longtime coach at Jerseyville, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nashville. Yeah. He said, 2006 quarterfinals at Peoria against Patrick Beverly and Chicago Marshall. Tigers undefeated and have the lead in the fourth, and Pat Bev took over. Did he ever coach against a more disruptive defender in his career? No. Uh, and I, I responded right back to him. That dude averaged 37 points a game in Chicago publicly. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he he was awfully 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 good. No, we we uh, we never coached against anybody like him. I could. Now his energy. There, there was a kid at Altoff used to play with that kind of energy. In fact, uh, in, he was at St. Louis. He was in yeah, him NBA now. Um, Godwin. I think it's Goodwin. 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 Yes. But uh, no, Patrick Beverly. He just changed that game. And I mean, I had good guys. I mean, I had. Spencer Stewart, McGuire, EJ Jones, what, what, Schaefer. You, you guys had lost one game that year? Or you undefeated? No, we hadn't lost any. You were undefeated. Okay. How yeah. dare you, Ross? My bad. Yeah. My bad. Now, that was uh, uh, still just two classes. Yeah. So you, got to, you played but, three. But the, the story of that game, this state championship, correct? No, this was the quarterfinal. Okay. But so you guys were winning most of the game, all the way up to the fourth quarter, right? correct? Yes. How much time's left? You guys are up by what? You know, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but we probably had to leave four or five in the fourth quarter. Okay, and then Patrick Beverly became something else. Yes. Is that the story? Yes, he did. He just didn't. You know, they pressured more. Now, see, they did us a favor. I mean, the first three quarters they're playing a triangle. They got all these athletes and they're playing a triangle in two, and they're not even guarding McGuire. This is a great story. So, <laughs> Marshall comes out. Triangle and two against Edwardsville, and they don't put the triangle and two on Dustin McGuire. So he's just the elbow with his pass it back and forth, and he's zipping in 15 foot jump shots like they never heard of him. He's going to salute. He's already yeah, signed yeah, right, for right. salute. He just started draining him. Yeah. yeah. And then later on, they started guarding him. But, but we, because it was hard to tell, I thought it was hard to tell what defense they're in and what are they doing. Yeah. Because we This never, can't be right. You're like, this can't be right. Because, <laughs> you know, if somebody plays triangle two, if you just get in the two guard front, you just pass it back and forth, you can shoot a full footer wide open. Now, while we're on that subject, I would be amiss if I don't ask this question. Okay. This is the hard hit. This is hard hitting journalism around here, Coach Waldo. Okay. So, do you, have you ever felt bad for Dustin McGuire leaving <laughs> Ty, our brother Ty's team, and coming to Edwards? Has, have you ever lost any sleep over that at all? <laughs> You know, uh, 
<laughs> now think I, about I, this I, answer, Coach. Our whole family is going to be listening to this. I, it's the only person that people that listen actually. If, if I would have, what I know now, I, I don't think I did this, but I should have. I should have called Ty and talked to him about it. I should have done that. I don't know if I did. I probably didn't, but I should have. And I didn't actively recruit the guy. I mean, no, sure I, we I know. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. In fact, I was a little leery of all the issues it would cause because we were going to be good already. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, Dustin, he's good, but we would have been good already. Mm-hmm. I was worried about the issues it would cause. Yeah. And in fact, when he came in the summer, Dustin, I was kind of cool to him. I didn't want to give him any indication that I want you to come or I was trying to get him to come. I, in fact, if I had to do over again, that over again, I wouldn't have been so standoffish and aloof. Like, who the fuck? Was yeah. Who are you? <laughs> and, uh, but that ended up working out really good because Dustin's such a good guy. Yeah. I don't think, I, I don't. He was always a great kid. He's a great yeah. guy now. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, he was. And, you know, he didn't get to do as much for us. Is he would if he'd have stayed one more year at Bethalto? All time leading scorer? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean yeah. 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 by far the all time leading scorer at Bethalto and all time I mean, probably rebounds, blocks. I mean he yes. would have dominated the record book, yeah. Yes. And he didn't get to do that with <clears throat> us as much because I had a lot of other good guys too. Yeah. You know, I've had some guys and I I told him this that I've had other years when I didn't have as many great scorers and we'd have played to him all the time. But that wasn't the best way for us to play when he was there. And he managed all that fine. Yeah. I got you. Um, Anthony Silkwood uh, sent in. He said, uh, "Coached him. You coached him fresh out of the Marines, and you've, you're still a mentor of him today." He said, "He's the best baseball coach at SIU, and he's the best basketball coach at SIU <laughs> right now." And then he ends it with "Unreal." <laughs> you coach baseball at SIU? No, no. But he, no. what what Anthony is saying is is uh, uh, he Waldo doesn't is coach the best okay. baseball coach at SIU. I, I, he doesn't coach <laughs> it, but he's the best coach there. Well, you know the way I met Anthony Silkwood uh-huh. was I used to coach a team in the Montclair League Summer Baseball Men's League, and Sam and Adam both played, and we had men's league in the in the Montclair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got an email from the director of the league saying this kid wants to get on a team. So I just emailed the kid i think he wants to get on the team fine that's great let's let him play mm-hmm. well it ended up being him yeah five i mean five-year marine corps yeah i mean it was a uh was the tank captain i'm not sure what you call it deployments and then it ended up being this guy yeah and uh what an impressive guy and what i just uh montclair league well, i just worked with him on pitching i taught i don't know, i want to say taught him how to pitch but i worked with him pitching and he just got better and better and better and ended up playing good in the Montclair League and ended up going and playing in junior college and then ended up getting a scholarship to uh, Louisville in yeah. baseball. This is after five years of the Marines. This is impressive. Yes. And, and uh, believe me, this guy was a Marine. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Anthony. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, if, if you wanted somebody to have your back, there ain't no better guy. <laughs> Him or Coach Brockhouse. Yeah, Either yeah. one of those guys. If you want somebody protecting you. Um. And we had we had his dad on. Oh Joe. yeah, we had we had we had Joe on. That guy could pitch. Yeah, <laughs> he told us no. Um, <laughs> sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, and, and Anthony's a coach now. Yes, I, I can't fact, remember where he coaches Mark, now. But he's, he's he was a head coach at Park, Parkland mm-hmm. last year, and they won fifty games, fifty five games. And he's down at Jacksonville State now. Oh, Alabama he moved. Now. Yeah, he, he's going to be a pitching coach at Jacksonville State. That's awesome. Alabama. That's a great story. Yes. 
um, is a guy named Sean Anderson that I know. He texts and he goes, ask him what it would take for him to come to Alton and coach if offered. He has some unfinished business left to attend to, and Alton would welcome him with open arms. <laughs> we, we, Bring out the bags, Alton. <laughs> we, we really had some uh, some good good games with the Alton Redbirds. Yeah, yeah. well, they, they wanted to come there and coach. <laughs> <laughs> that You know, Alton was a – you know, it was a basketball mecca. You know, the, the 70s in basketball in this area was really something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Collinsville, East St. Louis, Alton Redbirds, Belleville West Maroons. I mean, everybody was uh, was uh, really good. We had a lot of battles with Alton. We had the six-overtime game uh, with them. We had a lot of good games with them. Um, someone said, ask him about Steve Mueller and that O2 baseball team. Steve Mueller, you know, his dad – now, Steve Mueller pitched for the Tigers. He was he was played third base and pitched. He was about five, eight, or nine, but he had the heart of a lion and pretty good arm and a great slider. Well, Steve Mueller's uh, dad played with me at Lewis and Clark in baseball. He's from Edwardsville. He played third base for Edwardsville. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever known. He, 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 he told me a few jokes. I'm not going to tell him on that. <laughs> But one of the funniest guys ever, and Steve is his son. And our OT, O2 team was uh, Steve Mueller played third base and pitched. And he uh, he won a uh, regional game, won a sectional game, uh, saved a game at state, and was not the pitcher of record, but almost won another game at state. And uh, just as a two-way player, and a uh, – He's just pitching. If you've got one great pitch, especially in high school, you can do really good. And he had one great pitch was a slider that was really good, and he just played off of that enough that he could win. But he was a he was good for us and a good, good competitor. You got win state no two. We got in the state championship game and we got beat. We got beat in the state championship game five to nothing. Now our our guys say they had a uh, Tommy Gladman umpire. <laughs> you know, with Tommy Glavin pitching, yeah. throw four inches outside and always be strikes. Yeah. They had a guy that could throw it out there all the time. We had trouble hitting him. But we, but we did get in the state championship game. Um, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of basketball coaches? Ooh, I like that. Well, one of the first guys I learned a lot from was Jerry Tarkanian. And somebody gave me a book, probably my wife, for Christmas. And basically, Jerry Tarkanian wrote a book on – how to coach depending on who you have. You know, you got five guards. This maybe you should play this way. You got three, you know, three guards play this way. Two big guys, whatever. That was one of the best things I ever got was that book. Because not only did it help me teach me how to do things, but it reaffirmed you can't play the same way every year, man. It depends on who you got. So Jerry Tarkanian. You see a lot of coaches who are like, this is our style. We're going to play it no matter what what talent comes through, right? Is that kind of what you mean? Yes. And and I, I unless you're like a power five school that you can recruit guys into those slots all the time, I don't think you can do that. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot from Jerry for Tar- Tarkanian. Uh, Dean Smith, of course. And then uh, Brian Wilkinson's probably the greatest basketball coach I've ever known. Brian Wilkinson coached with me for like 22 years. He was a, a teacher in Dwight, Illinois. Won a lot of basketball games as a teacher and coach in Dwight. And then he came down to Granite City when the school split, and they didn't do as well. But Granite City stayed south, stayed in the Southwest Conference, and we played a an independent schedule. So he didn't win for a couple of years, and he ended up getting out of it. And when he retired from teaching was 1992, 
and I asked him to come up and start coaching with us. That's the best thing I ever did. Because, man, you talk about knowing basketball. That guy really knows basketball. Did he stay on your staff until you retired? No. He uh, he ended up moving to Florida in probably 13 gotcha. or 12. Now, you give him a lot of credit for, like, the OBs and, and, and such, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if you don't know, this, the Matt. I don't his, know what OBs are. So, the, like, under, underneath the basket play. Oh, like, okay. balls underneath the basket, run a play. Mastermind of he's given credit to one of his assistant coaches, but I'm sure it's him as well. But just one of the best programs you ever see scoring and the way they just break it down. It's just it's it's magical to watch. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah we, magical, magical, great, word. <laughs> great match, great word, Ross. Well, that, that's an easy place <laughs> to score from because they're playing four five But but Brian Wilkinson taught me a lot about basketball and one of the best things he would do is he would see who we have and then he would go home with a piece of paper and a pencil and start drawing stuff that we should do with the guys we had and one of the best things we did in in uh, 2000 1998 we had John Harris big guy 99 we had Dan Lytle big guy made 50 points against Alton one night <laughs> and the next year we did, our biggest guy was six foot one and we had one six foot one we had the three other guys five eight <laughs> So we wondered how we were going to play. And I thought, we got to play fast. We got all these guys, we got to play fast. Well, I think if you shoot fast, that means they get the ball a lot. And if you're only 5'8", it's going to be hard to guard, and that might not work out so good. So he just started studying Princeton. And sure enough, he showed up in June when we started having summer practice. We started running Princeton offense. But no, he's he's really really good. Tell you something else that really helped me. What what is that? That's three. That's three. uh, Dave Bennett. You know, Dave Bennett coached the Pittsfield Salkies. In fact, oh, it's Bennett. Oh, but, but they're, they're his dad. Yeah, so Lee's dad. Okay. Yeah, that's that's Lee and his brother's dad. Both Lee and his brother both coached at uh, Alton. But Dave Bennett coached the Pittsfield Salkies, and I used to see them. In fact, the first time I met him. Yeah, how's the connection happen there? Well, we in my last year at Marquette was '88, and we beat Auburn in the first game of the sectional. And it was kind of like when we beat in Carlinville the year before, we made the lead and they had to come out and we made like 80 points with just Steve Mason schooling down the middle out of four corners like Phil Ford. And so we played Pittsfield in the sectional championship. And I'm sitting there on the bench all nervous. And he came down and sat down next to me. And this is the best thing anybody ever said to me. Mm-hmm. He just looked at me and said, you're a very innovative young man with your triangle and two defense and your four corners offense. That really made me feel good that he, he thought I was innovative. Yeah. Now they ended up making like twenty one out of twenty two shots against our tribal <laughs> team, and, and they, beat us, they beat us in the sectional championship. In fact, Lee made it play. I think game. maybe maybe he was. Hey, you're very innovative. Keep yeah. playing that yeah, triangle yeah, too, because I got something for it. But <laughs> we've been working all week. <laughs> That's true. Lee, right. Lee played. Lee played against you then. Lee, Lee played on that team. They had a guy that hadn't scored much all year. Daniel was his last name. Left-handed guy made about eight or nine yeah. shots. Yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we were in the game, but we we didn't beat him. But that's the first time I met Dave Bennett. And then when I got the job at Marquette, you know, or at Edwardsville, you mean? Well, actually, when I first started talking to Dave Bennett, I was at Marquette. Yeah, yeah, but then. And uh, oh, you, you're talking about from the guys at Eversville? What? No, no, no. Well, you, you were talking. You were talking about Bennett, and then you said when when you got the job at Marquette. But did you mean Edwardsville? No, he meant Marquette. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, sorry, I, sorry, I, sorry, I talked, sorry, sorry. I, when I was at both places, I talked to Dave Bennett okay. all the time. 
But when I was at Marquette, I would just I'd practice Saturday morning. Then I'd get out of practice, I'd call him. Mm-hmm. He'd sit there and talk to me for two hours. And and you know, you when you get through playing and you first start coaching, you think you know stuff. You really, I mean, you think you know stuff. You know stuff. <laughs> well, I didn't know anything. You don't yeah. know shit. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know anything. But by God, I wanted to learn. And Dave Bennett would talk to me as long as I wanted to talk. Then he got out of coaching, and then when I was at Edwardsville, I would send him tapes of our games. <laughs> you know, and it was back, I don't know, the box tape, what's that called, VHS? Yeah. yeah. I would send him VHS tapes. And through the mail, he would watch them, and then he would return them in a big box, and he'd have a notes that thick. That's uh, awesome. And and he did that for me, for for a long for a long wow, time. Wow, that's cr- that that's all. That's an amazing story. Oh yeah, and uh, you know Dave Bennett, he uh, he was a great mix of having discipline, but having knowledge and skill and how to get it out of him. You know. It, the, I, to me, coaching, the hardest thing is to be demanding. In other words, make him do something you know he doesn't want to do or you know he's uncomfortable or you know he's tired, but you make him do it anyway. To me, that's one of the things a coach needs the most but is hardest to do because by nature we want to be liked. But Dave Bennett was a great mix of all those. And then when I used to take my team to the SIU team camp, that was used to be a great team camp there, Ricky Hurtis and Larry Graham. You know, Larry Graham, that was a basketball. He was brilliant basketball. You know, he, he coached at Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and I, I watched guys a lot. Larry Graham did a great job of his players couldn't grasp that many concepts. But he knew what they could grasp, and boy, did they do it good. So, I mean, I learned a lot from Larry Graham. I learned a lot from uh, from uh, from Dave Bennett, too. Uh I mean, I could. I. I mean, I've. I went to so many clinics. So I'm, I'm, I go to so many clinics, and I've been to so many practices that I've learned a lot from a, from a lot of guys. I a lot of stuff I probably don't even remember who I learned it from, but I. But I. I learned a lot from from those guys. So I, there's been a lot of a lot of mentors. Are you Are you a reader, Coach? I know you said your wife had talked about her giving you a book. Are you Are you Are you, are you a reader? Were you a reader? Uh, when, uh, now, no, I, I would, you know, on vacation, I would read a book. Now, was I a reader of how to play basketball or yeah. how to guard somebody? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I, I was a reader of those things or, or, uh, but uh, as far as just to get a novel and read that known, and I do, a little, I have a little more time now than I used to. So I do now. One thing that's always been said about you and, and as a coach, when I would watch you, I, I from afar, you, you see, I mean, you, I don't think anybody stacks up against you when it comes to preparation. If there's a, if there's younger coaches out there, other coaches, what 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 advice? How how does that, how did that preparation come about? How did you, how did you prepare? What are some of the I guess tips you would give people to help them become better prepared? Because I mean, if you're if you're if you out prepare the other team, you have a huge advantage. Yes. And I think you want to know every game, if not every game, more prepared than the other other coach or team. Well, I, I figured that was my way to compete. I was not shooting baskets or setting screens, so that was my way to compete. I think one of the best things I learned was basketball is offense, 
and basketball is defense. And so many people think it's transition. Well, it's actually not. I mean, if you're playing somebody that's good at all, you're not going to get hardly any fast break baskets. It's going to be come down to your ability to score in a quarter court on offense and stop them on defense in a quarter court. So what I would do would be we'd play Friday night. I would watch our game from Friday night, take notes so I could talk to the guys. One of the best things of preparation was a lot of people do it with film. I didn't do it with film. I would just have my legal pad. And every time I, when a guy would do something I was really good in the game, I would just write it down. During the game, you would write no, it? No, no, right after. I'm sorry. Oh, right, right after. Right after okay. the game. Yeah. So when I came back to practice, we would practice. We'd have a game Friday night. We'd come back to practice Sunday afternoon at 2. I wanted to go around to each guy and show him my legal pad and show him, boy, that was really good and why it was. And this was good and this was good. And this was good. And then I, this wasn't good. This, was, this wasn't as good. But I'd try to have four or five positives every negative. So I wanted to have that first of all. Because I think players are not just chess pieces. I mean, you, you can't just put them out there and, and run the offense and run the defense, and they're just chess pieces. They're people. So I think them knowing how much I appreciated what they did and me being well aware of what they were doing. Because a lot of our, our offense over the years was one guy passes, one or two guys screen, one guy stays out of the way, and we throw it to this guy. And I uh, <laughs> say this other way. So, but, but anyway, I, so that was part of the preparation was, was that. And then uh, I would come home, get home late Friday night. Then I would, Sunday, Saturday morning, I would sleep in a little bit, play with the kids. And then I would go to school and then just start watching film because we knew we had practice Sunday at two. On your next opponent? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would just keep watching film and what I would do. Now, now they have so many ways on video you can yeah, do it. I didn't cut it or anything. I just watched the play, wrote the play out on a piece of paper, wrote the narrative next to it. I had the play with the X's and O's, and I had the narrative next to it because I knew that I wasn't going to be teaching it. So somebody had to be teaching it, so I had to have the narrative of what they were teaching. So I would go through and get every play, every out of bounds, and organize those scout one, scout two. Scout one ran these set of plays, these out of bounds. Scout two ran these set of plays, these out of bounds. And uh, then I would go through it all again, trying to figure out the best ways to score. And then I would add a couple of new plays. Now, you got to be careful. You don't want to add – just cause you can't add too many plays because if you had too many plays, if they don't know where they're going, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. But you tried to add a couple of new plays for this game, for this opponent. And then I would plan practice, which I think is huge. I think plan and practice is, is – is, is everything to make sure you get everything in, but they're always moving. And it becomes a science, really. I, well, you know, it, I guess it's silly, but a lot of times I'd get all that done and it'd be early in the next morning or whenever it was. And then I'd say, oh, now I got to play in practice. Co- young coaches, you just hear it'd be early in the next morning. <laughs> you know, what I'm taking out of this is you outworked everybody. Well, I, I'm it's, not really sure what, it's work. what other people did, but uh, it, it is, it's time. Now, uh, I had the great luxury that my wife's tough and independent, and she never need, she didn't make me feel guilty for being gone. She just knew that's what I was doing. Now, she knew I wasn't down to Luna getting drunk. Yeah. <laughs> she knew I was working. But she, always, she never made me feel guilty about being gone. So I got to do everything I wanted to do. And uh, so then when, but I was, when I, it was time to plan practice, I know it seems silly, but I'd be really tired, and I, I wasn't stimulated. I wasn't. 
So I had a cot in my office. I'd lay down and take a nap. <laughs> and then I'd wake up from taking a nap. And then I could play and practice. Now, don't, at least I, I never told my guys this, but a lot of times you have to everything you want to do. And then what I would do is had everything I wanted to do first. Then next to it, I would write down how long it was going to take. And then I would also put what secrets I want to do, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I had that on my paper. Well, there was a lot of times I'd get time to play and practice, and I'd count up the minutes. It was like four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> so not even me could do that. Yeah. So I, 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 it was, I usually had to cut it back to two hours and 50 minutes. And that's usually – now, that included shooting and everything. But, the, but I did that for every game, and I, I, I almost looked at that as a, it was a privilege to get to do it. I, I was very appreciative that I got to do it. I was getting to do that. I never really looked at it like it was work. I mean, sometimes it, I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm using my deadline. I was going to leave Saturday evening by 8 o'clock to go to school, to work. And there were some times when it got 8 o'clock, I didn't want to pick up my bag and go, but I did. And once I got there, I was okay. But uh, I don't, I just wanted, I just appreciated getting to do it. And I wasn't going to practice, prepare really hard for Alton and then play somebody else, Jerseyville or somebody, and not do that. I will be Jerseyville. Because, if first of all, if I did that, I didn't get the joy of planning it and doing the work. But also, I'd send a signal to my players, I would think, and I never did it. Well, all of them must not think we're going to have any trouble here. We didn't do shit. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, my guys, if I had just come out and said, okay, well, three-man weave, we're going to have a couple shooting games, and we're going to go light today because we've got to save your legs because we're getting ready to play. My guys would have fell off their chair. In fact, <laughs> they probably would have revolted. <laughs> yeah. Because I think they actually liked being that prepared. Yeah. Uh, two, two things I wrote down on that. I really liked this. It was you weren't out there shooting, and you weren't out there setting screens. This was your way of being competitive. Yes. That's – I love the part of you watch the film, you write down in your notebook, first practice, before practice, you're walking around and having an individual conversation with each player and showing them the notes that you probably wrote on about them or yes. what they did good or what they did bad. Yes. That's, those are two great points. Well, well yeah, that, that's, that, I like that. That's my way of being competitive. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I never whined around to my guys. I was here all night, and you guys aren't yeah. trying hard enough. Yeah. I never did that, thankfully. I'm glad I didn't. But I do think my guys knew that I was working hard. And then I think that allowed me to demand that they do. Now, there was a few times when we wouldn't be, you know, the uh, you, you play on Tuesday night, you get home late Tuesday night, you got school, and then you practice Wednesday. There were some times when my guys would be dragging a little, and I would say, I would, I, I don't know, I would just yell out, you know, I know you guys are tired, sorry. I'm lucky. I never get tired. <laughs> Which the point was being, who cares if you're tired or yeah, not, let's yeah. go. And uh, uh, I don't know if that was effective or not, but I, I, that was my only, I, that, that was the only time. The track record shows that it was. Well, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> uh, um, and so now you're at SIU. Yes. Yes. Are you are you liking how how is that going from like being you know the the head coach to now sort of not the man in charge kind of how is that? Well, is it, I think uh, I think most situations there's good about something and there's something not as good. 
um, I wanted to try something else. I mean, I was 60 years old, and I had reached almost full retirement from TRS. So if, if I would have coached and taught another year, I really wouldn't have made that much more money because I could have been drawing my pension anyway. And I wanted to try something else. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want, of course, I didn't want to go away from home. I would have, I guess, if I, in fact, I, 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 I had taken a job at Jefferson City because I wanted to keep coaching and teaching. And I wanted, but what, what was the, you know, there were some rumors and maybe an article. Were, were you ready to leave Edwardsville that year? Did you want to stay? Well, I made up my mind I was going to go. And then I realized that my, my pension wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I actually, if I'd have worked another year, my pension would have been better. And I decided I would just stay a year and not coach, maybe look for another job and just teach. Okay. But I had already put my notice in. And, and this is business. I mean, paying, they had to pay a 30-year, 35-year teacher like me a lot more than whoever was going to take my place. So just from a business standpoint, they decided that they didn't want me to do that. And, it, and so I didn't. And it, it worked out fine. I ended up getting to go to SIU. And because of the union rules and stuff like that, what, you'd already put in your notice. Right. So it was hard to retract that? Yeah. They, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to retract it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not sure what went into that, but I think um, money-wise, it was a big gain for them. So I understand it. It was fine. So but, if, if you would have been able to retract that and stay, you only would have taught. You wouldn't have wouldn't have coached i don't think i would have coached and i might i don't know i I hadn't i didn't i I hadn't thought about it that deeply but i probably wouldn't have coached part of me was glad to get not be the head coach anymore because when you're the head coach you're grinding on it all the time all the time you're always thinking about something like we just heard (laughs) (laughs) yes and and you know the other thing when i was a head coach i was nervous as everything before every practice i mean anxious really anxious and if I could have taken that away, I'd have loved every minute of being a coach. But I never could get rid of that nervousness and anxiousness right before practice. Once I got on practice, I was fine. So not being the head coach, I didn't have that anymore. So I, I, uh, I liked that part of it. You know, for a few years, after you're so used to making the decisions, for a few years it was hard to not be making the decisions. But I mean, I've I've gotten over that fine, and I have a new role now, and and I like it. I'm very grateful to still be coaching, and I like the guys I'm working with. You know, Coach Baroni's been really good to me, and John Harris played for me. I, he hired me. I played for him. I coached for him. Let's retract a little bit here. So you, after you retired from Edwardsville, you said you took a job in Jefferson City. Yeah, Missouri. Head coaching? No, I was going to mm-hmm. be a special ed teacher and assistant basketball coach. But I was only 60, and my wife was retiring. We just didn't feel like that we wanted to live on just what our pension was going to be. And I wanted to keep working to supplement what we were making. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't be a good retiree. <laughs> I don't have any hobbies or anything. So that's the reason I was going to go so there. So you're going to go there. Then what happened? You, you did not go there. Well, what happened was uh, SIU, there was a job came open at SIU. And... Uh, I applied for that, and when I got that, I decided I'd. That, it made much more sense. Yeah, I'd have had to get an apartment in Jefferson City, and I'd have been three hours from home with my grandkids. I mean, no. Yeah. So this being at SIU was much much better. And so, 
I'll retract even a little bit farther is once you stepped out of being at Edwardsville, <clears throat> you're, you were invited down to Texas. And I bring this up because it's a great story. Shaka Smart, your last year was recruiting Mark Smith, correct? Yes. So you built a, they started recruiting, this is University of Texas, they start recruiting Mark Smith. I think shortly after coming to a few of Coach Waldo's practices, they started watching Coach Waldo. <laughs> and so the, how he runs his practice, I, I think the story kind of goes that they, they liked what you did. Mm-hmm. And so they they started a dialogue started they started talking and and um, I'll let you tell a story from there. Well, I knew after when Mark Mark Smith was at uh, Edwardsville, I, I knew that uh, I wasn't going to be coaching much longer because I'd been in it for so long. And uh, Shaka Smart, which he's a wonderful person, really really down to earth, really a good guy. He was recruiting Mark. And then after practice, I just had a roll of papers which had all my scout stuff on, my plays on it, and plays we were going to run and practice planned out. Of course, it was a big stack of papers then because I didn't see as good then. I had to write big. <laughs> but, but anyway, Shaka uh, Smart said, I'd sure like to see what was in that paper. And I think he was looking at it like that paper was why we practiced so good. But the reason we practiced so well and so efficiently was because of our scout team guys. I mean, we'd have – 15 guys out there and their whole job was to help my seven guys practice good and it was just like clockwork i mean okay scout be in and call the play for the run it and he 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 thought that was good i don't think that's as applicable to the college game though i mean i i do think you could have a practice team which would, would be good i think finding players that would be willing to do that's a little bit harder but he liked what we did and i knew that uh I was going to be wanting a job somewhere. So uh, he called me a few times about basketball. And uh, I said, well, why don't you send me some films and I'll watch them and I'll tell you what I think. And then I, after I did that, I, I, he talk, I talked to him. I said, I got all the films watched. I said, why don't I come down here and show you what I mean? And I did that because I was hoping he might hire me. Because, yeah. you know, you... You'd like you. I was one thing in my life, then I was another. I was ready to try something new. Got to mm-hmm. shoot your shot, Todd. <laughs> right. So I went down. I drove down to Austin, and I stayed down there three days. Stayed in a hotel and went to practice and did everything with them. Watched film with them, and I pointed out things I didn't think they did good. In fact, one of the things in my notes was I put the Longhorns haven't scored in five games on baseline out of bounds. <laughs> That's what we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Right. And he didn't get mad about any of that. He 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 liked listening to that and whatever. I could see him taking it all right. He had talked to you already, saw your practices, you know how demanding you were, how prepared you were. I bet it probably didn't sit well with his assistants because it was probably one of their jobs. Well, you know, actually, he had two younger guys and then one older coach, and that's exactly what happened. Is the older coach wouldn't didn't didn't like me having to say so or being around. And I think that's probably what kept me from going there. I don't know that for sure, but I would have loved to have coached with coach, coach smart. Yeah. He seems open to that stuff. I mean, he, I'm sure he, he just seems like he's always trying to get better. Well, I think he's got a great trait that any, if you want to be a good coach, you got to have, you don't care who gets a credit. You just want to learn stuff. Yeah. You just want to get better. It doesn't matter. I just want to learn more. 
So while you're down on your Texas trip, you, you go to all their practices at the time, whatever they were doing, you were just yes. kind of in the background. Yes. Taking notes. Yeah. I talked to the players. He's, uh, uh, he, he, he's really big on that. Yeah. I think he has, I don't want to use the word relationship, but he, he shows an interest in his guys and I think they, they like him. So I would, I'd talk to the players, watch them practice. We'd talk afterwards about stuff, what had happened and we'd watch film together. And uh, then when it was time for me to go, I just said, Coach, because I don't think he th- dreamed that I would want to work for him. Yeah. I just said, Coach, if you ever get an opening, I'd love to work for you here in any capacity. And, and then I drove home, and then we talked a few more times, and he still hadn't made up his mind by July, and then that's when SIU came open. Mm-hmm. And uh, it helped me there because uh, Coach – Brad Hewitt was just a really good guy and a good AD helped me get that job. And then so your former player at Eddardsville, John Harris, was the head coach at the time, correct? Yes. And did you come on as an assistant coach then? Yes, I did. Because currently you're you're an assistant coach, but not what are, what's your role now called? My title's called special assistant to the head coach. Which so different rules, re- different yes. yeah. Yes, it is. So I, in, when I worked for John, I, I, recruiting was part of my job and coaching on the floor was part of my job and then academics. And, uh, you know, I was, that was really good of John to give me the opportunity. You know, as I use a hard job to win and... Uh, give, give, us, give us some of your reasons why you think so. Well, um, I mean, I, from, my, from, from, from outside looking in, it seems to be tough because no one has really came here and even had like one or two, you know, runs. I mean, well, so there's something that makes it makes it tough. I, I think just what you just said, just the sheer idea that nobody had won there. You know, Marty Simmons won there, him and Mark, but that were Division Two then. Mm, yeah, and I just think the fact that nobody had won there before, and uh, I think John, if John would have got another year or two, he probably would have done good. You know, Coach Peroni's done good. I mean, they had the best year last year we've ever had. Yeah. Coach, what's the percentage-wise percent that you will be a head coach again someday? And do you want to be? Uh, I, I'd be surprised if that. Mm-hmm. If that. Uh, do you want to be? Do you have aspirations? Would it have to be the, or just the, have to be the right situation or? Well, you know, I I, uh, I used to when I first got out and first started at SIU, I thought about maybe being a head coach again. I don't think that way as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more into the day to day with the players and, and, and helping the coaches and, uh, academics is a big part of my job. Mm-hmm. And I don't, uh, I don't really think about that anymore. So I, I'd, I'd be surprised if that happened again. Gotcha. I've heard rumors that you don't fly. You're like the John Madden of, uh, assistant basketball coaches. Is, is this true that you don't, you're, is this true? No, I don't fly. You don't I, fly. I used to fly. I mean, Rick Fasten used to run trips out to Vegas and mm-hmm. my wife and I'd go with him. I used to fly all the time. When was the last time you flew? Probably 1985. <laughs> Who flew you around in the Wright brothers? <laughs> uh, so if you go, you guys on, on SIU road, do you go on road trips? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You just drive? When they fly, I drive. Yeah. I drove to uh, Farmville, Virginia last year. We played in a uh, shootout or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. But I, if I'm going to be on the staff, then I need to show up for the games. Yeah. So that means driving a little bit. <laughs> I, I drove to Vegas my first year. <laughs> and, uh, can can we fun. ask why you don't fly? 
I don't fly and I don't like elevators. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think it's, I don't know exactly why, but I think it's because I'm not in control. Uh-huh. You know, once a plane goes up, I can't get off. Right. And if the elevator door is shut, <laughs> then the only where I can get out. So that's, that's my two phobias. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm just afraid of a commitment. That's just mine. That's what you are. What 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 advice would you give a young coach, a guy wanting to go into coaching? Say he's in high school getting out, or he's in college getting out, or maybe he's younger than that. What 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 what's your advice to start your coaching career? Well, first of all, the players don't got, do it. First of all, don't do it. Second, if you are going to do I, it, you know, actually, I I don't understand at all why people don't want to get in it mm-hmm. anymore. And and except what you hear a lot is, well, the money they're going to pay me is not worth it. So they probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, true. I mean, it's got to be a passion for you. I, I think the first thing I would, if I was ever given a talk, the players got to know your forum. They got to know your forum. Now, you might not be nice to them all the time, and you might be demanding of them, but they got to know your forum. And uh, you got to be prepared. They'll pick up on that quick if, if you're not prepared. And then I think... Uh, appreciate getting to do it you know there's not many jobs like coaching you know in coaching you can do anything you want you can do any offense you want you can do any defense you want you can practice any way you want you can put a whole new offense and you can do whatever you want because you think it's a good idea and you don't have to run it by the head of the company or anybody else you get to do it now how many jobs are like that i mean almost none i think most people in business, you can, and in coaching, you can. But other than that, then, right. then you're not. So I, I would say appreciate the great opportunity you have to do it. And uh, I'd say that. One of the best things I learned early, not early, but later on, once I had kids, parents don't hate you. They act like they do, but parents don't hate you. When parents are, get after you or mad at you or complain about you, it's them thinking about helping their kid do better. And if they don't hate you, they're trying to help their kid do better. And I think if you keep that in mind, you will deal with parents better. You'll under, you have a little empathy for them. Now, I don't think that means they can have an open channel to you. I think you just ver- limit, greatly limit how often you talk to them. But I think that with, with parents... Um, and it's it's hard to do it. It's like m- most things, in most careers and and things. You, uh, uh, if you're going to have a partner, then I think your partner has to understand your passion and what you love to do, and not think less of you for it. And it helps a lot if they got their own passions and things they like to do, so they don't need you to make them happy. I think finding that is a, is a is a good thing too. You know, one thing I've kind of taken out of everything you've said here, and it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, is it seems like you've taken a little bit of your mom, how she was the loving, you know, affectionate one, and you've taken a little bit of your dad, who was the one trying to make you tougher, and you've kind of intertwined those into your coaching style is what it seems like to me. I think, <laughs> I, I've never thought of it that way, but you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, I'm the smart one on the show, if you couldn't <laughs> already tell that. But yeah, it seems like that's awesome. It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, you, it seems like you're, 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 you establish relationships 
relationships with your players, and then with your like you, you have a little bit that your dad were just trying to like you're, you're hard on them, but you're hard on them for a reason. Yes, yes. Th- so th- thank you because there's not two better people. Yeah. Than than those two, and yeah. uh, uh, my my wife has been everything for my career, mm-hmm. and, and everything. You know, it helps. She's not wasn't really into sports at all. And I think that helps. Yeah. Because she has trouble understanding why you would get upset says you lost a basketball game. I mean, she, <laughs> she has trouble understanding that. She, she emphasizes the part game, doesn't she? <laughs> and, that, and that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keeps you a little yeah. bit grounded, probably. Yeah. I mean, I never came home and whined around about something. She mm-hmm. she had other stuff to do, like take care of the kids for a while. Yeah. But, yeah. no, she, she was, she's she been everything. To yeah. that. How many kids do you have, Coach? I got two, Sam and Adam. Sam's 37, Adam's 34. Were they, were they were sports people? Yeah. 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 Uh, both of them played baseball. And uh, Sam played uh, – Adam played basketball three years. Sam played basketball. Did they go to Edwardsville? Uh, yes. Yes. Did they have – did they – was it was it pre- a lot of pressure on them being your being your son, being your sons? You know, we never talked about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, maybe a little, but uh, they, it didn't seem to be a, a major issue for them. Maybe it was, but they've they've turned out fine. I mean, uh, they still talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you still going to Leisure World? I remember, like when I was younger, like high school, or like I would see I would see you walking around up there at Leisure World all the time. Are you still going? Well, up to just Leisure walking World? around? Or well, you, I, working. <laughs> not sure I ever see him. I think he was always walking to the water. Last time, last time I saw him, he was sweating his ass off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I still go. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Is, is keeping your health? Is that is going to the gym? Is that like? Something that means a lot to you, like keeping and staying in phys- physically fit. I I think uh, that that helps me feel better. Yeah. So yeah, and I think it's always good for your mental too. And um, I've got arthritis, so I got to keep moving, or I won't move at all. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I I still go regularly, and I like it. Yeah. This is a. What a facility here. I didn't even know this was here. <laughs> I'll, I'll show it to you whenever we leave. Yeah. yeah. It's, pre- it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. He's talking. He's talking about the Thunderdome. <laughs> uh, before we get off, I, I got a couple things I, I want to bring up first. Um, one being um, Coach Eric Smith from Alton. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I, I just think this it's good. But maybe where you are in your career to to understand some some of the other coaches that you've touched um, helped out when you didn't have to. Um, <clears throat> Coach left me a uh, a little note. He said, um, "You know, Coach, this is what he. This is Eric." Coach is an incredible guy. He's one of the best to do it and has been incredible to me personally and professionally. That man owed me nothing and has answered and helped me anytime I needed anything. I will always be a Mike Waldo fan. That was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a, uh, you know, one of them. Coach is one of my favorite people to sit down and talk to and have a, have a conversation with. Um and it's always because I learned something. And <clears throat> three things that, I, that I'll say before we end the show of just um, things that I've learned that I, I've, I've taken with me in my entire life. And I think about quite often. One being my, um, I would always see him at Leisure World when I was in high school. And, um, and we're, we're looking at you don't even know that, you know what I'm saying? Like these younger kids are like, look, like there's Mike Waldo. Let's he, run him out of the building. <laughs> well, you and he, he, would, he would always talk to me a little bit about basketball, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and after we played him my, my senior year, which, which one, 
probably the worst game of my career. And it was because of how they played me. And uh, after I, the next time I saw him at Leisure World, he's, we're talking and he says, hey, can I, can I give you some advice? <clears throat> I said, yeah, love some. And he said, every time that you dribble left, it is a one dribble pull up. And if you go right, you're going to all the way to the basket. And I, and I, I, I worked extremely hard on my game. Um, and my brother Ty, you know, it, it worked with me side by side. And as, as a, you know, as a player who had, who worked on his game, wanted to understand those levels of the game. I mean, it hit me like, I'm like, I'm dumbfounded. Like, as a player myself, it was just something like my best move was a one dribble pull up to the left, and and I, I mean I'm hitting that shot if you if you if you give me an inch, and it just like clicks with like I don't even realize that I do that every single time. He watches me one game and it's, hey, and then he goes into practice and they prepare. If Locks takes a dribble to the <laughs> left, well, we're not even going to let him fucking catch the ball, but <laughs> if he gets it and he dribbles one to the left, he's pulling up. Yeah, and. So it, that, that's a note where it's just like to look at yourself in the mirror and, and to be better. Well, you also got to know what the other people are preparing for. You, you know, you, it's that those layers of the game and the education that, that those, those words right there made me look at everything differently. Well, I got to prepare. I got to have another move to add on to that. <clears throat> and then you can, you can continue that with life. Uh, after my first year of, of, being a varsity basketball coach and, and finding out that I didn't know anything about basketball, <clears throat> I worked up the courage to call coach. <laughs> and as a, you know, a young 25-year-old and, and looking at you know, what I think is a legend, it, it takes the courage to call someone like that. And that was probably my first time that I ever uh, – I think one of my strong things is I will pick anybody's brain, but it was to work up that courage and finally do it with him that then made it feel like I could do it with other people. And, and you've done that so much in your business. Yeah. In both of my careers, I've done that. And so he, he let me, I don't know, two, three, four years, whatever I was <clears throat> left at Beardstown out. They always went to a tournament in July. Correct. Mm -hmm. They had one more week of practice that we didn't. So I would always come down and stay at my parents' house and go to this week of practice they would have. And my first couple days there, I, I took two lessons out of, out of these practices that I think about daily a lot. Um, one being um, Coach comes, he had, he had a very good player. He's a little young. He's probably a sophomore at the time. And Coach rode him so hard in a July practice. I mean, he was on this kid. And rightfully so. The kid was slacking. And he had but the potential. He knew he was going to be a stud. He was a Division One player when it was all said and done done <clears throat> and i get there early and i'm sitting in the bleachers and um from i, I guess from what coach this kind of goes hand in hand but from what coach did yesterday his first thing is he meets me sitting down comes and sits down with me and and teaches me the lesson of you have to understand he said you can't act like i do when you go back to your practice you see what i do here you know i've had their uncles i've had their dads i've you have to understand your surroundings and how you can be. If you go up and act like me, you're, they're going to run you out of town. So you got to understand your surroundings. I still, that, that, that stays with me. You can act differently with other people. You can act differently in other situations, being tougher, being friendly or whatever it may be. You got to understand your surroundings. 
And then after he says that to me, he goes directly over to the kid. He's, he's walking out of the locker room and puts his arm around him, and they walk up and down the court. And as he just buried this kid yesterday, like that, he picked this kid up. And the kid had a great practice then. Mm. I mean, it was like, it was like I, I, I don't know what was said, but it was that, um, it was that, that personal one-on-one. He, he beat the kid down. He proved his point. And then, as me, what I would have been like as a younger coach, I probably would have been a little awkward. I killed yeah. this kid yesterday. I'm probably, <laughs> probably going to stay away from him. I know he's <laughs> mad at me. His parents are probably mad at me. Yeah. But not coach. That relationship he walked right over, arm around him, and built that kid right back up, and, and was dominant that day. That's um, that's so. That's, those are those are three things that just some conversations of being around coach that stay with me. I think about often. Well, you know, you brought up uh, Eric Smith, Coach Smith at Alt. Yeah, he did a great job there. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was a lot like Larry Graham in that maybe his players didn't grasp a lot of concepts, but he picked a style of play that they could do good. And they really, really did it good. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I think that, that school districts need to consider, you don't want to lose guys like Eric Smith. You don't want guys like him to get discouraged and not want to coach. I don't know what went on there, but you don't want to – people like – good. he's a coach. Yeah. He's got the moxie and the courage to make them act right. He loves them up and takes care of them. It's, he's a – good tactician I mean you, you don't want to lose guys like that and I think you lose them when you don't support them it's so easy to cave when every time a parent you know every time a parent complains you don't the coach doesn't need to hear about it and just because three or four complain he doesn't need to hear about yeah. it and uh, I was very fortunate that Ed Hightower is great a great great leader and I was very fortunate that he was the leader of Edwardsville for a long time because I never felt like I wasn't appreciated at Edwardsville. I, and I don't know why Eric Smith left, but I think it's a shame for Alton that, that they lost a guy his caliber. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, it's, it's huge in a school district to have that great leadership, build that wall between the parents, because in today's age, it, it seems, as I was stepping away from it, it seemed to get a lot, lot looser where the door was kind of open. And it, it wasn't a parent going through what used to be the correct steps. It's like a parent just is, has that door straight open to the coach, has access. And, 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 and that's not good. Not and, good. You know, uh, Ed Hightower never did anything out of what would be easier for him. Yeah. I think what happens now, a parent complains and then just pass it on. Down. Hey, tell the coach right away the parent complained. Now you got to meet with them. Yeah. And Ed never did things that way. Now, if he thought we needed to meet, and we did a few times, he did. But I always felt supported by him. And uh, uh, that, that was a him, – him at Eversville is a huge part of me, me being able to be there. Last thing I want to end this on, Coach, and this is – somebody had commented when we posted that you were going to be on our, on our, uh, our show. This guy named Michael Bloodworth. He's probably in his 30s. I remember him. He uh, and this he he weaves a message. He goes, one of the best coaches I ever had. He had a way of explaining to you that he expected more from you without you feeling down on yourself. That's a hard line to walk when you're coaching middle schoolers, which I was when he coached. 
now my point of reading that is is this wasn't a guy that you had in high school who didn't play for Edwardsville you know didn't play for Edwardsville high school basketball team or anything this is a kid that you had in middle school who's now in his 30s that says you're the best coach and just <laughs> and just talking talking you up so I, I just hope you know the lives that you've touched and yeah. the positivity that you've done and things like that and that 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 a decision not to go to U of I how many, many thousands of lives that's changed so well uh Thank you, thank you very much, and that's, that's not nice of him to yeah. to, to say. And uh, I feel like I've had a very charmed life. I, you know, my family was never, my mom and dad never created any drama. Uh, I've had health. I mean, I feel like I've led a, a charmed life, and uh, I've had a lot of people that cared about me and wanted me to do good. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate him, uh, him saying that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's nice. But we we want to we appreciate you having coming on. It was an honor. It was it was great for you to take time out of your schedule and come on. So we thank you very much. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Coach. This has been the Eat Slay Live podcast, and we are the Lock Executioner. Slay on, brother. Slay on.